If you'd like, you might open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 18 for our text this morning, 2 Kings 18. While you're doing that, I'd like to say it's a pleasure to be here. Certainly appreciate the invitation that's been extended to Lisa and I to come and to spend this week together with you uh, by your elders here at this place. And, and it's always a blast for us to be in Amarillo, and we've been looking forward to this week for some time. Hope that the studies... And the singing instruction, all that, I hope it will accomplish uh, some of the things that you guys have in mind this week, but we're going to have a good time in the process of doing it. I'm going to talk to you on the speaking times this week. I think I've, I was asked to speak on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then next weekend on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm going to take some Old Testament stories and do the best job I can to try to take some lessons from the Old Testament. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And I want to take, there is just a lot of powerful things in the Old Testament and, and several things I want to accomplish. One is I simply want you to know the story. I want you to be familiar with what, what happened with the, with the story in the Old Testament. But secondly, I want you to be able to walk away in modern times today. And what are some lessons we can glean about the character of God, the nature of God, how we ought to be, how we ought to live our Christian lives, that kind of thing. So that's what I want to do. And this morning I've chosen to sp speak, and my voice is still changing. This morning I've chosen to speak on uh, King Sennacherib. One of the greatest battles that you read about in the Scriptures is this battle with King Sennacherib. And we a lot of times talk about the battle of Jericho and Joshua fought the battle around Jericho and that's one of the famous battles of Old Testament history. But King Sennacherib is probably at to that um, level or as great or almost as great a story. And I just want you to be familiar with that story if you've not heard it or if you have heard it to be reminded of it this morning and then hopefully we'll take some lessons from it as well. Let me start. There's three things I'm going to do this morning. One is I want to put the story in context. I want to get, get you into the proper time frame. What's happening up until this time, I want to give you kind of an overview of how that Old Testament thing worked. Then I want to look at the story itself and we're going to be reading some out of 2 Kings 18, 2 Kings 19. And then the last thing we're going to do is take those lessons that we can learn from, from those stories. So first of all, let me put it in context. And the Old Testament, generally speaking, was, was written for one purpose, and it was to bring us to Christ. And so what we see in the history of the Old Testament is not, although the Philistines are mentioned in the Old Testament, it's not about the Philistines, and it's not about their culture. It's not about the Gentiles, although they're mentioned in the, in the Old Testament. But that's not what the Old Testament's about. The Old Testament actually is the, the book of the history of the Jewish people that leads us ultimately to Christ so that we understand how Christ got here, who He was, who He, who he was the Son of, and, and that He was divinely and uh, providentially guided, etc., to ultimately be the Christ. And He fulfilled all of those prophecies. That in general is what the Old Testament is about. Now I want to start with the concept that God gave promises to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And there was a promise that said in Abraham's seed all nations of the earth would be blessed. So very quickly, first of all, I want to take a lineage. And I want you to re recognize the fact that Abraham was the father of the faithful. Abraham was the father of the multitudes. He was the father of the Jewish nations. Abraham, if you remember through his promised seed, had one son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. The Esauites became the Edomites, and we're going to look at those next Sunday night. We're going to look at that lineage going that direction. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. 
And I'll move here in just a second so y'all can see that. And I think I've got that low enough now that I can deal with it. But Jacob had 12 sons. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, eleven, twelve. The first son, his name was Reuben. The third son, his name was Levi. The fourth son's name was Judah. The last son, his name was Benjamin. The next to last son, his name was Joseph. And I'm not going to fill them all in, but you remember the fact there was Gad and Asher and Naphtali and Zebulun, and there were 12 sons of Jacob. Those 12 sons were the 12 sons of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Also became known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? Now, I'm putting in very simplistic forms. I recognize the fact that there were some variances. Levi didn't actually possess a particular part of the land and wasn't one of those particular tribes that possessed land. But I recognize that fact. But my point is there were 12 tribes of Israel. I want you to get that for a moment because then I want to look. I'm not a very good cartographer, but this is going to be the land of Israel. This is the Mediterranean Sea. Here's your Sea of Galilee, River Jordan, Dead Sea. Here's Egypt. Jerusalem's going to be down here. Those 12 tribes ultimately came in without going through all of the history, ultimately came into the land that we call Israel or Palestine, and they divided that land up. And the 12 tribes possessed the land. It was during this time that God set up a system of judges. And that system of judges lasted for about 450 years. Basically, if they had a civil problem with each other, some sort of a legal issue, it came before these judges. Deborah was a judge in the Old Testament, etc. But there came a time when the people cried out. After they, now, when they came into this land, by the way, they came in with that great battle of Jericho. Where they went around the city one time a day for seven days. On the seventh day, they walked around the city seven times. On the seventh time, they shouted with a great shout and, and blew the trumpets, etc. The walls came tumbling down. They overtook the land of Israel. They went in and inhabited the land. They each took a parcel of land. Okay? And that was the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, there came a time, though, that they decided they wanted a king. They didn't like the system of judges. All the other nations around them had a king. They wanted a king. God said there's three reasons you don't want a king. Number one, they're going to take your young men because he's going to want an army. Number two, they're going to take your young women because somebody's going to feed and clothe the army. Number three, they're going to tax you real heavy because somebody's going to pay for the army. You don't need a king. And they said, we want a king anyway. In his anger, he gave him a king. In his wrath, he took him away. And they got a king. And you remember the succession of kings. Saul reigned for 40 years. Then King David reigned for 40 years. And then Solomon reigned for 40 years. At the end of Solomon's reign, Solomon dies. And Solomon's son's name was Rehoboam. Rehoboam went to the young men and he says, My dad led very harshly. How should I, you know, what kind of king do I need to be? And the young people said, If you think your dad was bad, you ought to be worse. If you think he, he led with his thumb, you ought to lead with your fist. I mean, you ought to be harsh. So he went to the old man and he says, how, how should I lead? And that, the old man said, you need to be gentle. The people will follow you, but you need to guide them carefully and that kind of thing. Well, he took the young men's advice and he led with, the, with an iron fist, let's say. And because of that, the kingdom was divided. And there were, ended up 10 tribes to the north 
Those ten tribes to the north were known as Israel. There were two tribes to the south that were known as Judah. So when you're reading through your Old Testament and you read about a king of Judah or a king of Israel, that's after this kingdom was divided and there were actually two different kings. In this case, the kingdom was divided and Rehoboam was the king to the south. Jeroboam was the king to the north. Now Jeroboam had a problem. The Jews had to go to Jerusalem to worship. And they, they ran into an issue. What are we going to do? Jeroboam says, I don't want my people going down there to the south. They're going to go down there to that other kingdom. We don't want them down there with those other people. So they set up places. Jeroboam set up places like Bethel and Samaria where he set up essentially what became false worship and false gods for his people in the north to worship. Now, we're in that time frame when we look at 2 Kings chapter 18. I want to put a little bit of a date on this for you in a timeline. But if we're going to look at a timeline, and this is 2013. This was the beginning of time in Genesis chapter 1. And let's say this is AD 1. AD stands for Agno Domini. Agno means year, Domini means Lord. In other words, this is AD 1, the year our Lord was born. There actually was no AD 0, it was AD 1. And here's AD 33, when Christ died, approximately. Here is uh, AD 100, by the time we find the, the rest of the New Testament completed, etc., the end of the first century, all the way to 2013 today, all that's AD. Everything before that is BC. So BC stands for before Christ. And there are some dates that are somewhat important as we go through the Old Testament, but 605, some people would render that as 606 BC, 723 BC, and continuing on back to creation, 723 BC. This chapter in 2 Kings chapter 18 is at that time frame of 723 B.C. And what happens in 723 B.C. is Assyria is over here. Assyria is fixing to come into Israel. Not Judah, but Israel. Assyria is going to come in. And they're going to try to, or going to ultimately overtake Israel. And they're going to try to overtake Judah. They're going to surround the cities of Jerusalem, etc. And they're going to try to take Judah. Now, in the time frame that we've got here, Hezekiah is now king of Judah. And Sennacherib is king of Assyria up here. And he is ultimately, his predecessor has overtaken Israel. And he's headed because he wants to take over Judah. That's what Sennacherib is doing. Assyria comes in in 723 B.C. and overtakes this, the northern tribe. And Sennacherib is now coming in, and he's wanting to overtake the southern tribes. Okay, I hope I've not confused you, and I hope I've given you some context. 2 Kings chapter 18. Hezekiah is king. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse number 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. 
20 and 5 years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. Now, we don't know 100% what was going on probably in this time. Hezekiah is, is king of Judah. Hezekiah was a righteous man. He did that which was right in the sight of God. He was a very faithful follower of God. Some other kings that had come before him were not that way. And he tore down all the, the golden images and the false worship and all that stuff. And he set up worship the way God had asked him to, to follow and care for him, etc. He was that kind of a king. Very righteous man was Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria, though. Now, some scholars would render that the king of Assyria probably had put a tax on them. And that, they had, that Hezekiah just said, I refuse to pay the tax. I refuse to be associated with Assyria. I refuse to let that assimilate into our culture. I'm not going to get involved in that. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria. So you've got a little bit of an idea of what's taking place here. Skip down, if you would, to verse number 9. It came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Eli, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. So the predecessor to, to uh, King Sennacherib had taken in this northern, had taken the northern tribes, and those ten tribes ultimately assimilated into, into Assyrian culture, intermarried with them, and there are books written today called The Lost Tribes of Israel, etc. Those ten tribes never to be heard from again in history. They're gone. King, the predecessor to King Sennacherib had taken them. That was 723 B.C. or approximately. Okay? Now keep reading if you would verse number 11. The king of Assyria did carry away Israel unto Assyria and put them in Hala and Habor by river of Gozan in the city of the Medes. Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded and would not hear nor do them. Now the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended. Return from me that that which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, three hundred talents of silver and thirty talents of gold. Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. At that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So at first we see Hezekiah, he's rebelling against Assyria. He doesn't want to be taken over by Assyria. But now the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, has come in and he's besieged all these different cities and Hezekiah's had a change of heart. He says, whatever it is you need, I'll pay it. I've obviously offended you. Don't come into my city. And if you look at some of the, the scholars related to the amount of gold, he gave him 11 tons of gold. 
a ton of gold, 11 tons of gold. That's a bunch of gold. Even to the point that he took everything out of the temple of God, the hinges, everything that was overlaid with gold, he took it and just offered it as a gift to Sennacherib to not come into his city and to not besiege his city. Go to verse 17. King of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabasarius and Rabshiki and Lachish to Hezekiah with great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, and Rabshiki said unto them, Speak ye now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? So Sennacherib's now come in, he surrounded the city of Jerusalem and, and he sent people, in fact he went and fought a battle somewhere else, but he sent people and they would stand outside the wall cities and they would shout out, later you'll find out in the reading that they'd shout out even in the Jews' language, said, who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in Jehovah God? Are you trusting in the God that, that, of Hezekiah? Are you trusting that God would deliver you? He said, uh, Sennacherib sends this message saying, I've taken all these cities all the different cities that I've gone in. I've gone in all around your area and I've taken all these cities. What key makes you think I'm not going to be able to take your... So he's essentially mocking the Jews and he's mocking Hezekiah. And more so, he's mocking the God of Hezekiah. He's mocking Jehovah God. Who is this that's going to deliver you out of my hands? He's so built up with pride. Sennacherib just believed he could do everything. He could win everything. He could take everything. Verse number 22. But ye say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God. Is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah had taken away and has said to Judah and Jerusalem, ye shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? So he's just mocking. You think you're going to have confidence in Hezekiah? A guy that, guy that follows his God? You're going to follow this guy and trust in him? Skip down, if you would, to verse 28. Rabshika stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. And so Sennacherib sending messengers to him. They're shouting to the wall in the Jews' language, Don't trust in Hezekiah. He's not going to be able to deliver you. We are coming in. We're going to destroy you. He's mocking them. He's, he's trying to intimidate them. We're coming in. We're going to take this city. Verse number 31. Hearken not to Hezekiah. For thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present and come out to me. And then ye eat every man of his own vine and every one his own fig tree. And drink ye of the waters of his cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land. A land of corn and wine. A land of bread and, and vineyards. A land of all, all olive, of honey that you may live and not die. And hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. So here's Sennacherib's people on the outside saying, Don't listen to him. He said, I'm going to take you to the land. And it's a land of corn and wine. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a land that, it's just like your land, but different. I always loved that. It kind of reminds me of kind of what Satan does. Satan offers so much and delivers so little. You know, Satan's on the outside always going, oh, This would be even better than what you got. You'll like this even better. That's what these guys are doing. They're just mocking the God of, of Hezekiah. They're mocking Hezekiah. They're mocking his leadership. Verse 33. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena and Iva? 
Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? So now he's taken all these false gods from the northern tribes, and he says, where are those gods? Did they, did they deliver their cities out of my hands? So now he's comparing Jehovah God to these false gods, to this false worship. Verse 34, sorry, verse 35. Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand? But the people held their peace. And I want you to think about this verse for a moment. During all this mocking, making fun of the God of Hezekiah, making fun of Jehovah God, the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. King Hezekiah had said, don't talk to him. Don't say anything. Don't be intimidated by him. They're, they're yelling at you. They're trying to intimidate you. They're making fun of you. They're mocking you. They're mocking the Jehovah God. They're making fun of God. But don't listen to them. Just don't answer. Just don't say anything. And so they didn't answer anything. They answered him never a word. They just stood there and took it. Go to chapter 19 in 2 Kings. It came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. Hezekiah is grieved. When you look at the Old Testament, there's multiple Old Testament stories that talk about them rending their clothes or rent their clothes in twain and they sat in sackcloth and ashes. That's a sign of mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. They're in grief. And Hezekiah is in that kind of grief. His people are, are surrounded, essentially. They're going to be attacked, it looks like. And Sennacherib's out to get him. He's paid all the money that they've got. He's delivered everything in his hands that he's got. He took the gold off the hinges of the temple to pay him. Took everything he's got. And he's just in grief now because now they're just mocking Jehovah God. They're mocking him. They're mocking his people. Skip down if you would. Verse number 15. Or it's verse number 14. Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. You know, I love that phrase in verse number 14 there. Hezekiah goes into the house of the Lord and he says he spread it before the Lord. He got these messages that all this stuff was happening. He's grieved. He's, he's sitting in sackcloth and ashes. He's upset over the fact his kingdom's being surrounded. So he goes into the house of the Lord. He goes to worship and he spreads it before God. He just spreads it out. And then he prays to God. And he says, God, you're the God above all gods. You're the God of the heavens. You're the God of the earth. You're not like the gods of these false gods. You're not like the gods that defended these cities of Samaria that, that Sennacherib came and overtook. Or the other cities. That, you are the God. The ultimate God. You made the heaven and the earth. Verse number 16. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Lord, open thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which has sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the king of Assyria have destroyed the nations of their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. You know what Hezekiah is praying for? He spreads it before the Lord. He begins to pray and he says, you're the God, you're the only God. He said, it's true that they went in and overtook these other cities and destroyed their false gods, but they were false gods. 
You're the real God. You're Jehovah God. You're the only God. You're the creator of the heavens and the earth. Deliver us out of his hand if for no other reason than to prove to them that you're the only God. You're the only God. You're the real God. You're Jehovah God. Keep reading if you would. Verse number 20. Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, that which thou prayest to me, or prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Skip down, if you would, to verse number 29. This shall be a sign unto thee. Ye shall eat this year such things as grow themselves. And in the second year, that which springeth up of the same. And in the third year, sow ye and reap and plant vineyards and eat of the fruits thereof. And the remnant that escaped to the house of Judah shall yet again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant. And they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of the hosts shall do this. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And I want to stop there for just a moment. And I want you to realize what's happening. He's praying, deliver it. Isaiah comes back and says, he's heard your prayer. He's going to deliver this city. And he said, in fact, Judah's going to rise back again. And what is going to start off is seeming like you have nothing. You're going, to, you're going to root downward and you're going to spring forth and you're going to have fruit in the future and you're going to have the ability to eat and all those different things. I'll take care of you. I'm going to give you provision. But King Sennacherib will never shoot an arrow in your city. He'll never fire a gun in your city. He'll never take your city. I'm going to defend this city for my sake, for his honor, for God's honor, I mean. And he said also for his servant's sake, servant David's sake. Now let's go to verse 35 and see how the city was won. It came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. 185,000 people died in one night. Now notice what happened to King Sennacherib. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned to dwell in Nineveh. And it came to pass as he's worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, and Adramelech and Sherezer, his son, smote him with a sword. And they escaped in the land of Armenia. And Arsahadon, his son, reigned in his stead. Sennacherib lost this battle. And he doesn't even begin to hardly understand how he lost the battle. He's surrounded. He's beat every city in the country. He's so built up with pride. And in one night, he lost his army. 185,000 people died because the angel of the Lord came in and they were all corpses the next morning. There was not a shot fired because King Sennacherib came against God Almighty. He was trying to fight a battle against a real God. Jehovah God. And that's a battle you can't win when you're fighting against the real God, the only God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. What confidence and faith that Hezekiah had in his God, regardless of what the circumstances look like around him. Don't get me wrong, he was grieved over it. But he said, I know you, God. If for no other reason than defend your honor, save this city. And then Sennacherib essentially leaves in shame and ultimately his son takes his life from him and he dies. 
Now, there's some remnants of history that show that Sennacherib lost this great battle. And when I say history, I'm talking about secular history as opposed to biblical history. Sennacherib was a real person. When we talk about these Old Testament characters or Old Testament stories, sometimes we leave a little bit of an impression like we're sitting in an English class, a British lit class, and and somebody's made up a story about Beowulf, and and we've got the characters of the story and the antagonist of the story and the etc., And I want to tell you, these were real people that really did live at certain periods of time in history that really fought a battle, and Sennacherib really did lose a battle. So I want you today to know the story of Sennacherib, one of the greatest battles ever fought in Scripture. Not a sword drawn, not a gunshot fired, not an arrow shot, and 185,000 dead the next morning. Sennacherib left in humiliation, and Jerusalem was saved. Amazing battle. That's kind of like Joshua fought the battle around Jericho, isn't it? But different. God delivered that city. And it was to His glory He delivered it. Now, I want you to walk away today with some lessons that I think we can take from from the story. You've got kind of the synopsis, and I know it's difficult to get a story in. There's a lot of big names in there, and it's King James English and all that. But I hope you've got the flavor for the story, because a couple of things I want you to walk away with. Number one... God is sovereign. By sovereign, you know, if we were going to talk about the state of Texas, that the state of Texas was a sovereign state, that means it's got the ability to make laws. It's got the ability not to be sued. It's got the ability to determine what's right and wrong. That means it's got ultimate authority. The state of Texas, uh, people would say the United States is a sovereign nation. And we try to be very careful not to get into other nations' business because they are sovereign nations. They've got the ability to determine for their own people what their laws are going to be and that kind of thing. So we try not to invade into that sovereign status. Well, let me tell you about sovereign. God is sovereign. God determines what the rules are. God determines right and wrong. God determines the boundaries of our habitation. God is sovereign. And if there's nothing else that we can learn but Hezekiah's faith in this story to say, God, you're the God, the creator of the universe. You're the real God. You're not like gods out there. And sometimes I think it's interesting even for Christians because we look out there at the world and we see folks sometimes putting their faith in the wrong things and sometimes we even see them being destroyed with those things. Or we see and and we say, well, you know, let's just don't put faith in anything because, you know, it's just not going to work out. We really kind of doubt about the fact that what God really is and what God really says and God's real instruction is that He really is God and what He's stating really is true and we really need to have the kind of faith to walk in it. God's sovereign. And there is no other God like Him. The rest of them are false. The rest of them are shadows. The rest of them are fake. But what God tells you, and what God tells you in His Word, it's true. You can believe it. Number two, I think there's a message in this story of leadership. as well as being a good follower. You remember how King Sennacherib's people had surrounded the city and they're shouting even in the Jews' language and they're mocking Jehovah God and they're saying, who's going to deliver you from this? Ha ha ha, you're going to have confidence in Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had said, don't answer him. Just don't, don't say anything. Keep your mouths closed. I've got faith in God. 
We're going to have faith in God. Just close your mouth. I don't know about y'all here in Amarillo, but I've known some situations that, that I've been involved in that there were times when it was just good to keep your mouth closed. And sometimes leadership may even address a congregation and say, this situation is just not good. It's not pleasant. It's not fun. It's bad. It's not, there's not a thing productive about it. But the leadership expresses to the congregation, just close your mouth. That's, that's really what you need to spend time in prayer and close your mouth. It doesn't help. There's nothing productive going to be good from talking or discussing or getting intimidated by it or any of that. Just have faith in God, keep walking, keep praying, and close your mouth. And what a lesson in the leadership of Hezekiah to say to his people, don't answer them. Just keep your mouth closed. And then a testament to their leadership was how well they followed and a testament to their faith in Hezekiah and their leadership. They answered him never a word. They were being mocked. Their God was being mocked. Their king was being mocked. Their city was being mocked. And they sat and they just took it. They answered him never a word because the king's commandment was don't say anything. So they just sat there and took it. Now, I don't know about you all, but in our part of the country, sometimes that's a little challenging because I can tell you from a leadership perspective in our congregation, sometimes it's like herding cats. You know, the leadership can say, well, we're going to do it this way. And sometimes that means, you know, we're going to do it 900,000 ways. And the leaders are going, which way did they go? I'm their leader. You know, let's run out there in front of them and try to get them back over here somehow and try to herd them all back together again. And then somebody yells, squirrel. And then all of a sudden they're directed some other direction again, going 900 different directions. What great skill we see in the people of Hezekiah that they were following their leader who had faith in God. That reminds me of a passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 7 that says, Obey them that have the rule over you whose faith follow. They, that your leaders have that kind of faith that you can follow it. That's comforting to me. I pray for those kind of leaders. I pray for those kind of followers. I want to be the, that kind of a leader. I want to be that kind of a follower. The kind that says, we've got faith in God, and we've got men leading us that have faith in God. And what we're going to do is the right thing regardless of anything else. We trust in the outcome of this because we've got trust in God. What a great testament to their leadership, or Hezekiah's leadership, and the people of Jerusalem and their ability to follow. Number three. I want you to walk away this morning with a confidence in the fact that God answers prayer. We talk a lot of times about the verse that says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I want to tell you, God answers prayer. He may not answer it the way you want it to be answered. You may not understand His mind. You may not understand His thoughts. But I want to tell you, God answers prayer. You know, Hezekiah understood that. Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. And he said, God, if for no other reason than for your own honor, would you save this city because you're the real God, you're the God of the universe. And you remember Isaiah came to him and says, the prayer that Hezekiah prayed, he's heard your prayer. And he'll deliver this city. 
And I will tell you, you may be going through a very difficult time. You may be going through challenging times. If you hadn't, you probably will at some point in time. I want you to pray with great confidence that God listens to your prayer and hears your prayer. I want you to have confidence and trust in His ultimate perfect will. In this case, Hezekiah is looking around. He's surrounded on every side. Sennacherib is you know, built up with pride. It's, I, I can beat any city. I beat, I beat everybody. I'm go, fixing to come in and take you guys. But Hezekiah, with great confidence, goes in and spreads it before the Lord. He knows where to go when he's got obstacles looking around him. When he's surrounded by difficult times, he knew where to take it, and he took it to God. Spread it before the Lord. God answers prayer. Number four. I think if there's a lesson that we can learn from Sennacherib, or King Sennacherib is that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Sennacherib's so proud of himself, he's boastful, he stands outside the city boasting all of his previous achievements and how he's fixing to take down the next one. But he didn't take down the next one, did he? He took down Sennacherib. You know, 1 Peter chapter 5, and time and time again in Scripture, the same message is taught to us that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know, don't you agree this morning that pride creates more problems and is probably the root of a lot of problems that happen in our lives? You know, a husband's inability to say to his wife, I'm sorry, I made a mistake is really rooted in pride. A wife's inability to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, is rooted in pride. Maybe a congregation that can't say, I'm sorry to each other, is rooted in pride. And I just want you to walk away this morning and recognize the fact that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know, the things that we honor, we honor our past achievements a lot of times. We want to tell everybody the things we've done. We, we lift our chest out or lift our nose up in the air. And we want to tell everybody who I am and what I'm about and all that because it's me, 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 me. And really that's rooted in pride. Rather than service to other people, service to the church, service to the kingdom is rooted in humility. But too often the problems that we struggle with really come down to pride. They come down to me, 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 me. And I just want you to walk away this morning. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. And number five, God moves in mysterious ways. You know, you may not always understand why God does, how God does, what God does, but He's God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But in His ultimate perfect will, you can have confidence that He's got it in control to His good and His glory. There are a lot of things in life that's hard to understand. There's a lot of things in life that's hard to answer all the questions to 
I want to tell you, God moves in mysterious ways. Hezekiah didn't know how God was going to defend that city. But he had confidence that he'd do it. He knew his prayer was going to be answered. He spread it before the Lord. And one morning, Hezekiah woke up, and he had won a battle without, sh- without shooting an arrow, without firing a shot. God moves in mysterious ways. I don't know 100% how God will move in your life or will work in your life. I don't know. But I want you today to walk away with the confidence and faith that you lay it before God and you have faith in His ultimate perfect will and you let Him do what He does. He's God. You're not. He's God. You're not. Let Him do. Let Him work in your life. Look and see how God works in your life. I will tell you from experience that sometimes that's easier to see looking back than it is looking forward. Because looking forward, it's hard to see a lot of times what the future holds and and the bends and turns of of what life brings. But when you look back, uh, many a time you can see how God really worked in your life. And it was through dedication and faith and trust in Him that you saw Him carrying you and helping you and building you and molding you and shaping you. God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform, but let Him work in your life and have faith and confidence in Him. If you're here this morning and not obeyed a call to the gospel, the number one decision you can make today is the decision that Hezekiah made when he became king. And that was a decision that I'm going to serve God. It doesn't matter what my predecessors did. It didn't matter what my father did. It didn't matter what my uncles did. It didn't matter what anybody else did. What I'm going to do is serve God. We're going to tear down the high places and the altars and the false worship, all the other stuff. What we're doing is following God. We're dedicated to God. And he did that better than any other king that was before him. And I want to encourage you today, make a decision today to serve God. That I'm going to dedicate my life. I'm going to have confidence and trust in him. All the false gods and all the shadows and all the things of the world that entice and make you think and all the mockery from other people that says, oh, you don't have to follow him. You know, you don't put your trust in him because, you know, you can see where all the success is, right? I want to to tell you, just have confidence and trust in the God who knows the beginning and he knows the end. And keep walking. And walk with that kind of faith and that kind of determination. Can you make that decision this morning? We're going to sing an invitation song. You have an opportunity to, during that song to make your way to the front, sit down on one of these front benches, and the elders here will be more than happy to help you. Their arms are wide open to you, I promise you, this morning. If you've been away from God, if you've been away from the fold of God, if you've lost confidence and faith and you've found yourself and you're eyeing a different direction, I promise you, this morning, these elders today, this congregation today opens their arms wide up and says, Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. And I want to tell you, there's a place for you. And I want to tell you, the arms of Jesus, the arms of God are wide open. He wants the heart of a servant. You don't come this morning in pride. You don't come this morning thinking you're somebody. Come this morning in humility and say, I want to serve. I want to have trust and confidence in God to lead my life rather than me, 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 me. I want to have the kind of confidence that says it's God. You want to make that decision this morning? I want to tell you, when we sing this song, it's a great opportunity for you to say, I'm putting my feet on the side of God this morning. Won't you come while we stand and sing the song that's been selected?